0: So, we're going to do a two part lesson on God's twofold purpose, uh, which is found in Ephesians 1, verse 9 through 11. I'm going to turn there. It says, Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him, who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. So verse 10 is going to be uh, the focus there, uh, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one, all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth, even in him. So in Genesis 1-1, you have, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, right? Two different realms. Uh, so that's Genesis 1-1, creates the heaven and the earth, right? So he has these two purposes, one for heaven and one for earth, which we as mid-Axms sensationals should clearly see. That's the purpose for the nation of Israel and the purpose for the body of Christ. One will be used to uh, fulfill his purpose for the heavenly places, for heaven, and the other to fulfill his purpose on earth. Uh, And so you have uh, this phrase, since the world began, God has been dealing with things on the earth. If you look at Luke 1, verse 68, this is Zechariah. Uh, in verse 67, we see that he is filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied saying, uh, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began. And so this is when uh, it's told to Mary that she will have a child. Right, Zechariah prophesies that this is that horn of salvation, this is the one that the prophets have spoken about. And you see that phrase since the world began. Right? So you had prophets speaking things since the beginning of the world. So from Genesis one onward, right, prophets were speaking things. Well, if you look at Acts three, eighteen through twenty one, Peter says something similar. Uh, verse eighteen, it says, "But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all His prophets that Christ should suffer, He hath so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And He shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all His holy prophets, since the world began." So you have here, since the world began, you have things spoken by the prophets. So you have uh, prophets, and these are things spoken from this time onward, right? Uh, and so Peter and Zacharias are saying those are being fulfilled in Christ, right? When Christ came. Uh, there in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And of course, Peter is after that in Acts. Uh, but he says Christ fulfilled those things when he was here on earth. And so you have things being spoken by the prophets uh, since the beginning of the world. Then you also have a phrase uh, before the world began, or since before the world. I you look at Romans sixteen twenty-five, Paul says, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the beginning of the world, or since the world began. Right, but now is made manifest. If you look at Colossians one twenty-five. Paul says, Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which have been hid from ages and from generations. But now is made manifest to his saints. So you have the prophets from this time on uh, speaking things spoken. Whereas Paul says he was given something that was kept secret until it was made manifest. Alright, so secret since the world began. So it wasn't known here. It was And of course, when we study and talk about the mystery, we know that the body of Christ has a position in heavenly places, right? So you have a, a secret purpose of God that is his purpose for heavenly places, right? And how he will redeem all things uh, in heavenly places in Christ, right? That Ephesians uh, 1.10 talks about. Uh, and then, of course, things in the earth are things that are uh, spoken, right? His purpose for the earth was spoken. It was prophesied. Uh, So you have his secret purpose, and then his uh, spoken or prophesied purpose. Which would be the kingdom that comes here on earth. Uh, So you have these two different things uh, that God reveals as far as his purpose for redeeming all things in Christ. Uh, But in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. These are two different realms. Uh, Genesis 1:1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Psalms 102:25. It says, Of old, thou hast laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. Right, so God laid the foundations of the earth. The heavens are the work of his hands. Isaiah forty-eight thirteen 13. It says, My hand also have laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand have spanned the heavens. When I call unto them, they stand up together. So he is in control of all. He created both heaven and earth. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 48 and 49, uh, verse 47, it says, The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy, and as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. And he's talking about when we are resurrected with our heavenly body. But what you have here is a contrast, right? There is a earthy and a heavenly. Right? Adam being the first man, right, was earthly. Jesus being the second man was heavenly, right, being from heaven. So you have these two different realms, which is clearly seen in Scripture, right? Heaven and Earth. So today, we're going to look at, uh, in part one, God's plan for the earth. Uh, This was the plan that was spoken since the world began, which is what Zechariah and Peter say. Uh, So since Genesis 1 onward, you have this prophesied purpose for the earth. If you look at Genesis one twenty eight. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So you notice here, He creates Adam and Eve. Uh, verse 27, He created He him, male and female. Created He them. He blesses them, and He gives them this purpose to have dominion over the earth, right over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So you can see here God is starting to reveal things with the earth, right? In his dealings with the earth. He tells Adam and Eve, Have dominion over the earth. Right? So you have things being spoken of about the earth. In Psalms eight, four through nine, Says, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honour. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands; that hast put all things under his feet: all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth! So Psalm says the same thing, right? You've put all things under his feet on earth, right? But he says you are, we are a little lower than the angels. Uh, so that's what Psalm says about man. Um, and so what happened in Genesis 3 is man sinned, right, and corrupted the earth. And so God gives that commission to Adam and Eve to have dominion over the earth. And then in Genesis 3, they sinned against God and corrupt it. Uh, part of the curse given to Adam was that he would have to work, but also that there would be Thorns and thistles upon the earth. In verse seventeen, it says and unto Adam, He said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. And the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. So now you have thorns and thistles, right, that are corrupted on the earth because of man's sin. And by Genesis 6, verse 5 through 7, it says, God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on earth, and it grieved him in his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and creeping thing, and the fowls of the air for repentant need that I have made them. Right, and so man's sin corrupted it. God sends the flood to destroy it. Uh, Romans 1, 18 through 32 explains this early period in Genesis. We talking about how God gave up humankind to their sin, right, because they did not want to retain God in their knowledge. They chose to fulfill the desires of their flesh. Uh, and so God sends his flood, and he tells Noah the same thing, right? To replenish the earth, have dominion over it uh, after the flood. And so because man was given over to sin, God chooses to call out one man and make of him a great nation. And Of course, you should know this is Abram. Right there in Genesis 12, uh, you have Abram. God calls out Abram in Genesis 12.1. It says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So God makes this covenant with Abram. And notice he says, I will make of thee a great nation. Singular right, one great nation from Abram. Uh, Not only does he make this covenant with Abram, but also with his seed, uh, with Isaac, and with Jacob. If you look at Genesis 17, verse 19 through 21, we know that Abram and Sarai tried to take matters into their own hand. She gives him her concubine, uh, and Abram has Ishmael. But God says, no, the covenant's not with Ishmael, it's with your seed and Sarah's seed, right? And so here in Genesis 17, verse 19, it says, God said, Sarah, thy wife, shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee, behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time in the next year. So God chose the covenant with Isaac. Uh, In Genesis 26, verse 3 through 4, you see God tell Isaac that this covenant is with him. He says, Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee, and will bless thee, for unto thee and unto thy seed I will give all these countries, and I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. And I will make thy seed and multiply it as the stars of heaven, and will give unto thy seed all these countries. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Right. so again, he makes that covenant with Isaac. If you look at Genesis 39, verse 9 through 12, he makes it with Jacob. not sure what verse I had there, but he makes it with uh, Jacob. You can read that in Genesis. Um, and So Jacob's name, that turns to Israel. Right, so you know you have the nation of Israel, which is the nation of Jacob, right? Uh, because Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Uh, Israel, or Jacob, had 12 sons, which make up the 12 tribes of Israel. You see this in Genesis 49. It says, And Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. And so he gathers all his sons together. He's going to prophesy unto them. And then in verse 28, it says, All these, speaking of all the sons of Jacob, are the twelve tribes of Israel. And this is that their father spake unto them and blessed them, every one according to his blessing. He blessed them. Right, So you have here the 12 sons make up the 12 tribes of Israel, uh, which makes up the nation of right? Israel, the 12 tribes there. So not only did God make a covenant with the fathers of Israel, uh, which was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but he also makes it with the nation uh, there in Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6. This covenant is with the nation. It says, "Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar people unto me, a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which I shall speak unto the children of Israel." So notice there, a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Right? They're going to be a nation above all the people on earth. Right? This is still dealing with the earth. Um, And so God makes his covenant with the nation of Israel. Also, if you look at Exodus 23, verse 20 through 23, it says, Behold, I send an angel before thee to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. For if thou shalt indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy unto thine enemies, and an adversary unto thine adversaries. For angel shall go before thee and bring thee in unto the Amorites, and the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Canaanites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. Right, so notice here, if they keep the covenant, I will be an enemy unto thine enemies, and an adversary unto thine adversaries, which is the same thing he told Abraham. I will bless them that bless thee, and curse thee, them that curse you. Right, so it's the same covenant that he's making with the nation here. In Deuteronomy 5, verse 2 through 3. And the reason I'm making this point is because some people say God only made a covenant with Abraham. Right? But he made it with Abraham and his seed, right? With Isaac, with Jacob, and then with the 12 tribes of Israel that are the 12 sons of Jacob. Here in Deuteronomy 5. Uh, this is Moses speaking. He said, The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. The Lord made not this covenant with our fathers, but with us, even us who are all of us here alive this day. So notice, this is a covenant with the nation, right? He says, Not with our fathers, but with us, right? So he made a covenant with the nation of Israel. Um, and this covenant concerns a kingdom, a nation, and a land on earth. We saw that in. Exodus 19, where he says, I will make of thee a great nation, right? I will give thee this land, right, if you keep this covenant. And so it has to do with this nation, this kingdom, this land on earth, right? This is God's purpose for the earth, right, that you see being uh, played out here. If you get Isaiah 65, it talks about this kingdom, Says, and I will rejoice in Jerusalem, and joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that have not filled his days. For the child shall die, hundred years old, but the sinner being a hundred years old shall be accursed. Um, and they shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. They shall not build, and another inhabit. They shall not plant, and another eat. For as the days of the tree are the days of my people, and mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth trouble, for they are the seed of the blessed of the Lord, and their offspring with them. And it shall come to pass that whereof they call, I will answer, and while they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together, and the lion shall eat straw like a bullock, and dust shall be the serpent's meat. They shall not hurt, nor destroy, in all my holy mountain sayeth. The Lord, So this is the kingdom come to earth. Uh, you notice that there is peace there, right? And his people are blessed, right? Um, so they will not build buildings and someone else inhabit them, right? They're going to be established there in the kingdom. Uh, and this kingdom is, it gives you the place, I will rejoice in Jerusalem. right? So there is a specific place on earth that God will bring his kingdom to, right? And that's Jerusalem. And so he makes this covenant with the 12 tribes of Israel, or with the nation of Israel, uh, so he makes a covenant. Put that in there. And it has to do with a kingdom, right? You're on Earth. So... Right, this is a covenant with the 12 tribes of Israel that they will have a place, and that is in Jerusalem. Right, this, here on earth. So, this is God's prophetic plan for the earth. Right, he's going to bring his kingdom on here and establish righteousness. Right, there will be peace here on earth. So, the reason he calls out Abraham wasn't because Abraham was special, right, it has to do with God's purpose. He needs to have a people to bring about his plan, right? Uh, and he establishes this covenant to have a people uh, to uh, fulfill this purpose that he has for the earth. In Zechariah 8.3, Said the Lord, "I am returned unto Zion, and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called a city of truth, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain." So again, I am returned unto Zion. I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. All right, Jerusalem will be called a city of truth. Right, it's going to be a city of truth here on earth. The kingdom will be in Jerusalem. Um, And so those who make it into this kingdom, uh, you have a teaching that they must endure uh, through the tribulation uh, in order to make it in there, right? They must stay true to God, believing in Christ and the covenant. In Matthew 10, verse 22, Jesus teaches this. It says, And you shall be hated of all men for my namesake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Right, enduring to the end, you have to endure through uh, the tribulation that is coming. Matthew 24, verse 13 it says, But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Right, in Matthew 24, he's talking about the, the tribulation that's to come, right, and how you have to endure through that if you want to be saved, right, if you want to make it into that kingdom. Hebrews, being written to the Hebrews, also deals with the subject of enduring through tribulation. Uh, Hebrews 6.13, it says, For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, uh, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. So you see, he's using Abraham as an example. Abraham had that promise, that covenant. And it said he patiently endured waiting for it. Right. I believe Abraham was 75 years when he was given that covenant. He doesn't have Isaac until he's 100 years old. Right. So that's 25 years he had to patiently endure and wait for it. Right. Same for those that are promised his kingdom. They have to patiently wait and endure through the tribulation to get it. James 5, verse 10 through 11. Uh, James 1.1 1, 1 says, James 1.1 says, He's writing to the twelve tribes scattered abroad. He's writing to the nation of Israel. Uh, in James 5, verse 10 to 11, it says, Take, my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. So he uses Job and the prophets as an example. Right? They went through tribulation, suffering, and endured it. And what happens at the end? Job was blessed tenfold, right? Everything he lost, he received uh, tenfold more at the end, right? Which is the same thing for those who go through the tribulation. They'll lose everything, but they'll have blessing and riches in the kingdom at the end, right? Uh, 1 Peter 1, verse 6 through 9. Peter says wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in the heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth though it be tried with fire, might be found into praise and honour and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen ye love, and whom though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your soul. And so what he's teaching here is the same thing that Jesus taught, that James teaches. You have to endure uh, the trial of your faith, uh, faith right through the manifold temptations, right? These trials that they're going to go through, uh, the end of that is the salvation of your souls, right? And so this is a part of the prophetic plan for Israel. They're going to have to endure through the tribulation to enter into that kingdom. And so a lot of times we try to look for typologies in the Bible, but if you think about Noah, Job, Daniel... All these men went through a tribulation and then got blessed at the end, right? Noah went through the tribulation of the flood, but at the end, he was saved, right, and his family with him and was given a covenant to have dominion over the earth, right? Uh, Job lost everything, right, but he stayed true to God and never cursed God, even though his wife told him to. And at the end, he received blessing. Daniel, he was thrown in the lion's den, and then after that, he was brought out and was made high ruler in the kingdom, right? Uh, and so you have all these men as examples for the nation of Israel. Right? That's what they are. They're examples of going through tribulation and receiving the blessing at the end, right? Which is the kingdom. Uh, and so God's purpose for the earth, uh, the reason he chose a nation, again, was to bring about his purpose of redeeming the earth. Uh, the nation of Israel... Their purpose isn't just to get in the kingdom and have riches and blessings uh, and be with God, but it's to be a light to the Gentiles, right? To bring the Gentiles to that kingdom of righteousness. Uh, in Matthew 5, 14 through 20, Says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfil. For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Whosoever, therefore, shall break one of these least commandments, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. All right, so their purpose here is to be a light to the Gentiles. Notice there it says a city set on a hill cannot be hid. The nation Jerusalem, the city Jerusalem, is set on Mount Zion. Right, set on a hill, and it's going to be a light to the Gentiles, right, because of the righteousness there, which is what this passage is teaching, right, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, right, because they're keeping the law and righteousness and truth is down there, which is what God's purpose is, is to have a city of truth, right, a holy nation there. In Deuteronomy six twenty four through twenty five. It says the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for good always, that He might preserve us alive as it is at this day, and it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God, as He hath commanded us. Right, the keeping of the law is righteousness, right, which is what you will have in the kingdom. Uh you will have a nation keeping the law. Uh, Isaiah two two. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains; it shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. All right. So the purpose of this kingdom, Jesus will be there first of all. Um, he will reign there. That's where Jesus' throne will be. So he will be king of this kingdom, and you will have. righteousness there, right? So the purpose of this is for all the Gentiles, will flow into it, right? To come see the Lord and to come see righteousness, right? Because that's where uh, the Lord will be, that's where he dwells, right here on the earth. So his purpose is for there to be a place of righteousness, Uh, and where he will dwell, and for people to come there, right, the Gentiles to flow unto it. You get Isaiah 61, verse, or 62, verse 1 through 3. For Zion's sake will I not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest, until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness, and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth, and the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness, and all kings thy glory, and thou shalt be called a new name which the mouth of the Lord shall name. Thou shalt also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of thy God. So again, he says, I will not hold my peace, for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest. Until there is a brightness, right? A light, a light of righteousness there in Jerusalem. Um, But God will use his nation, again, that's the purpose, he's going to use his nation to bring in the Gentiles. So not only will they be uh, there keeping the law and being a light to them by their uh, keeping the law, but they will also go out to the nations and bring them in. Uh, Which you see in Isaiah 59, verse 20 It says that the Redeemer shall come to Zion, and unto them that turn from transgression, In Jacob, saith the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord. My spirit that is upon thee, and my words which I have put in thy mouth, shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed seed, saith the Lord from henceforth and forever. Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall arise upon thee. And his glory shall be seen upon thee, and the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy horizon. So again, this is the New Covenant, because it talks about uh, my spirit that is upon thee, my words that I have put in you, right, will be the light that brings the Gentile kings and the Gentile nations to that brightness, to that light, right? So Israel will be keeping the law, but not of their own power, right? That's the New Covenant, which we'll look at here in a minute, Um it's the spirit in them causing them to do it, right? It's them trusting in Jesus and having that spirit that allows them to keep the covenant. And that's how they will be that light to the nations, right? For the nations to come to. If you look at Zechariah eight twenty two, so again the Jews that dwell in Jerusalem, when the Lord dwells there, uh they will go and will bring the Gentiles into the city because they're gonna tell them Jesus is there, right? Come with me back to see the Lord, uh, to see righteousness. Uh, this is what Zechariah 8:22 says. It says, Yea, many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts in those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold out of all languages of nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, We will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. All right. so this is how they're going to minister to the world They're going to hear about the kingdom and Jesus being there, right, and the righteousness and salvation there. And it says ten men will grab the skirt of one Jew, right, and say, take us back with you because we've heard God is with you. All right, and this is the redemption of the earth, right? People coming to Jerusalem to praise and worship the Lord uh, and see the king there. Uh, And that's how God is going to use his nation, right, to minister to the world. This is his, uh, again, his plan for the earth. Uh, the earthly kingdom is Jewish, which is clearly seen in Revelation 21, verse 10 through 14. It talks about the new Jerusalem, uh, the holy city coming down. It says, He carried me away in the spirit of a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God in her light was likened to a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone clear as crystal. And had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, so twelve, twelve tribes of Israel, and at the gates twelve angels, and names written thereon were the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. So you have these twelve gates with twelve names, uh, each name of one of the tribes of Israel. It says, is on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the land. <laughs> and he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates and the wall uh, thereof and the wall thereof and the city lie four square in length. And so he goes on to give the measure of the city. But you see there it has 12 gates with the 12 names of the 12 tribes of Israel and then 12 foundations with the names of the 12 apostles. All right, that's why he chose 12 apostles, one for each tribe. Uh, and So you can see that uh, from Genesis through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. God is dealing with this purpose of the earth. He's te- teaching things about the law and the kingdom, right? And the prophecies that prophesied about it. Uh, and it's not on your outline, but in order for them to have salvation there, uh, they do have to be redeemed by Christ, right? Which Isaiah 53 talks about, right? He was uh, bruised for our transgressions, right? So they do have to have a sacrifice for their sins, uh, which we know in Hebrews, if you want to turn there, a sacrifice that animals could not take away, right? Uh, Hebrews is all about the new covenant, which is a better covenant. Uh, In Hebrews 7.22, it says, By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. Jesus is going to be the high priest of the new covenant. He is a better priest than any priest that has been before. He is going to be the priest of a better testament, a better covenant. Uh, In Hebrews 8.6, it says, But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, But how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which is established upon better promises. So you have a better testament, a better covenant, better promises. Uh, In Hebrews 9.23, it says, It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made without hands, which are the figures of the true, Men, the heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as a high priest entering into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he have often suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ once offered to bear the sin of many unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Right, so it's because of his sacrifice for the nation that they can have salvation and forgiveness of sins. Uh, Peter says in 1 Peter 1.18... He says, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversations received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained for the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. And so you have here Peter saying the same thing, right? You were redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus as a lamb without spot. All right, Jesus was that better sacrifice for Israel. Right? He was a sacrifice that could take away their sins forever. And it says if he wasn't, then he would have to offer himself uh, every year since the foundation of the world. Right? But he only had to do it once because he is that perfect sacrifice. And so that's part of how uh, when you talk about redeeming all things in earth in Christ, well, that's the nation of Israel in Christ right? because he is their sacrifice, their high priest. right? Um, so that's the teaching that you find for the nation of Israel. Because there is a controversy in Romans where Paul says they were in Christ before me. And so people say, well, you see there, Paul wasn't the first to know the mystery, right? But he doesn't say they were in the body of Christ before me, right? Because there is a teaching of being in Christ before Paul according to the law, right? And abiding in Christ. Uh, And so if you look at John 15, Jesus himself teaches this, that you have to abide in me, right? You have to abide in Christ if you want to enter into that kingdom on the earth. But it's different than how we are in Christ today. We are in Christ by faith in his finished work. Here in John 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, near ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you, continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. So here the difference is, he says he is a vine, and you are a branch in that vine. Which is a different teaching than, he is the head, and you are his body, and a member of that body. Because you don't cut off the body part. Here, you have uh, pruning, right, uh, purging, and it talks about those who don't bear fruit. He cuts it off, and it withers and dies, and is third in the fire, right? Now he says, if you want to abide in my love, you have to keep my commandments, right, which is not the teaching for us that you're in Christ by faith, right, whether you keep the commandments or not, um, but here you have to abide in Christ by keeping his commandments, and if you're not keeping his commandments and producing fruit, you're going to be cut off. Right? which again is that covenant, if then, if you keep my law, you get the blessing. If you don't, you get the judgment. Right. And so you abide in Christ uh, on the earth, uh, the prophesied plan, by keeping his law, keeping his covenant. Um, that is how you abide in Christ. And again, they will be able to keep the law because of the spirit in them. This is part of the new covenant. In Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand, to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts, and write it in their hearts, and will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, "Know the Lord." For they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquities and will remember their sin no more. So you see, there he's going to write the law in their inward parts, right? And they won't have to teach one another because every man will have the knowledge of God in them, uh, because of the Spirit. Ezekiel thirty-six. Verse 26 through 27, it says, a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments, and do them. And you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. All right, that's the new covenant. He's going to put his spirit into them to cause them to keep his commandments. And he's going to uh have them dwell in the land that he promised them. Right? So again this covenant has to do with Trump. Kill. You kill it. What's up with one I saw in the basement? Give me a shoe. You have boots on. <laughs> you have the Spirit put into them to keep the new covenant, to keep the law. Look at Acts 4. You see this being played out in the early part of Acts. Because the Spirit has come at that point and is indwelling people. In Acts 4.31 it says, When they had prayed, the place was shaken, where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. All right, so you see the oneness and the unity here because of the spirit in them. Right, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Uh, it says, and none of them said the things that they had was their own. Right, they had all things common. This is when they were selling all that they had and putting it together. Right, and living together, awaiting the kingdom. Right, but they had that oneness, that unity. Because of the Spirit in them, and so that's how they are in Christ, according to the covenant, right? So by abiding in His law, by having the Spirit, right? By keeping the New Covenant, uh, but also it starts with believing in Christ, right? Believing that He was the Messiah, that He was the promised one. In John six fifty six. It says, he that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and I in him. So how do you dwell in Christ? According to uh, the prophesied plan, according to the law. Here it says, by eating my flesh and drinking my blood, right? which is what the Catholics get for the Eucharist. Uh, but that's a metaphor for what he said in verse 35, uh, which is, uh, Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Right, so how do you eat and drink the Lord? By coming to him and believing in him. Right. So they had to come to Christ and believe he was the Messiah. Right. The one that was prophesied. Now if you look at John eleven twenty five 25 and 26. <clears throat> Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die, believeth thou this. So again, to have eternal life uh, for Israel, those under the law, same for us too, uh, you have to believe in Christ. right? For them, it was believing who he was, that he was the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah. For us, it's believing in his finished work. right? Um, but he says, you believe in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Right? They want eternal life. They have to believe in Christ, right? So that's how uh, things in the earth are in Christ, going back to Ephesians 1.10, uh, it's by being in the new covenant, right? Trusting in Christ as the Messiah, right? Abiding in him, keeping his commandments, right? And so that is the prophesied plan for the earth, right? He chose this nation so that they could be redeemed uh, through their new covenant and minister to the Gentiles, right? To bring them to the kingdom, To have righteousness and salvation. Right? Uh, So, hopefully, that makes sense. Any thoughts?